I wanted to bring you uh, a message from Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be working through Ephesians in the Wirral. And uh, I got to this passage at uh, the start of this year and just really, um, again, it just started to open up again for me and I found it really helpful for me. And I think the church found it helpful, so I'm hoping you're going to find it helpful too. Um, but um, it, it, Ephesians is a great book. And it's really encouraging us, again, to work through the detail of this book. Um, Paul's writing into a, into a, a place called Ephesus, which is a, a seaport. It's busy in Asia, Monday, Turkey. It's full of uh, basically drunken sailors and greedy merchants. Um, and, and it's not much different to our current cities, to be honest, is it? Uh, Liverpool, you go out in the evening, it's full of drunken Revelers, maybe not sailors these days, uh, but certainly greedy merchants who are after our money, after getting things. And, and, and Paul knows for the Ephesians it's difficult to live in, these, in this place. It's difficult to live well in a place like that. So he wants to speak into them. He wants to speak, he wants to speak encouragement to this group of Christians. He wants them to be in a place where they're confident in what Christ has done in them. And that's what I want for you this morning. I want you to go from here this morning knowing actually that Christ has done something in you and you can be confident in 2017 and beyond that actually God has done something that's changed you forever. And you don't need to doubt, you don't need to deny it. You, you can focus on what God has done in your life and be encouraged. 2016 seemed to be a bad year for celebrities. Um, certainly, I've, I've, um, I, I was talking to, to Becky Gresty before and saying I, I've, I've finally admitted this year that I'm middle-aged. I've always found myself being young, but um, I realise now at 47 I'm actually middle-aged. But I know I look a lot younger than that. I know it'll be a surprise to many of you that I am 47, but I am. And still as fit as I was when I was 46. Um, <laughs> But it was a bad year for celebrity. Many of my heroes of my teenage years passed away in 2016. There seemed to be a, 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 an enormous amount of famous people. Now, I haven't got time really to go through the list, but um, you know, think about David Bowie, um, um, Rick Parfit, what a great guitarist he was, real hero. Prince, saw Prince at Wembley Arena, um, he was tiny. Not because we were a long way back. I'm not going to say anything about his stature, but we were a long way back. You know, people like um, the great Ronnie Corbett, Muhammad Ali. You go through these people and they think, celebrity, and the, the, the growth of celebrity has been huge over my lifetime. Before that, it, there was only a few, wasn't there? In the last 30, 40 years, celebrity has become a real big thing. People want to be famous. But actually, being famous does nothing your spirituality does nothing for your where you're going it's short-lived but actually there's something that god wants us to know this morning that is it's long-lived that's need to turn and you can be encouraged so before i carry on let's let's read the passage i'm at verse 17 of ephesians chapter 4 hopefully that there's the verse will be on the, on the screen for you which is fantastic um, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, if you want to follow in your own Bible. I'm going to start at verse 17. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, 
that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour. We are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you what you have done in our lives. We thank you that you called us, that you chose us, Lord, that you've justified and uh, made us right in your eyes. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy on our life. We thank you for the forgiveness that you've shown us, undeserved as it is, Lord God. We pray your blessing on us this morning. We pray you speak to us in your precious name. Amen. So I've got three quick points to make. I'm not going to go right through every verse in this, but it's just helpful to see the whole picture. I think there's, there's a good to see a, a progression through the passage. So that these are the three points I want to make this morning is, it's not the old life, but the new life, and then finally living the new life. So really my uh, encouragement is living the new life. How do we live the new life? What is it that we have to do? And Paul here starts by testifying... Um, Really, he's, he's testifying, he says, in the Lord. Just put this out of the way. And he's basically bearing witness to what God has revealed to him. That's what he was saying. I'm, I'm testifying in the Lord. He's not, this is not Paul's opinion of how you should live. This is what God's telling Paul. This is, this is the word of the apostle. It's not his preference. Sometimes, well, as preachers, or as, as we, we, pre- we preach our preferences. We preach what we like, we preach what gives us uh, encouragement, or preach what we're good at, or we speak what we're good at, maybe whatever you think, you, you speak the things that you're, you're confident with, that you're, well this is, this is my prayer, I don't want to preach that passage because that's a, that's a bit hard, that's a bit difficult, you know, and then this is, you know, you say, well this is an easy passage, Dave, anyone can preach this. But it's, we've, got, we've, got to, we've got to go with what God speaks to us, haven't we? We've got to be confident. I don't know if you ever come across Phil Moore's books, Bite Size. They're fabulous. I really encourage you. This is 
for, for, for non-theologians like me, I'm not a theologian, um, uh, my, my main gift is pastoral, um, a pastor teacher, but actually reading his books is just so helpful. And this is what he says about this passage. He doesn't say, Paul, uh, says Fillmore, give the Ephesians a Christianized version of the Ten Commandments. Or encourage them to make a series of spiritual resolutions about how they're going to improve their life. He doesn't have to actually tell them that they need to live more holy. Paul doesn't tell that to the Ephesian church. He tells them that they are already godly through the gospel. And their challenge is simply to live that lifestyle. Our challenge isn't to be more godly. Our challenge is to live with God dwelling in us. Our challenge is to do the things that God has called us to do, to live who you are. It's about your identity. It's not about what you do, it's about who you are. And identity is critical in all the Christian things that we do. It's not about what we do. It's about what God's called you to be. If we look at this old life, he talks about this old life that we've left behind. If you're a Christian this morning, you've left that life behind. You've left it behind. It's, you've, it's like a house that you've moved out of, and you've left it behind. You've left everything in it. And you've moved out, and you've bought a brand new house, and everything's brand new. That house, you think, I don't, don't, I don't live there anymore. It's not, none of my stuff. But if you're not a Christian, maybe you feel like you're still living in that house. You're full of the, the rubbish that's still around you. Trappings of sin, the trappings of, of life in this modern world, there's so much. Things have changed so much, haven't they? But Paul starts to say, well, this is who you were. That's what he starts with in this passage. He tells them who they were, what they've left behind. So, what have they left behind? He said, well, they've left behind futility. We often, we can practice that. You have futility. What's futility mean? It's, it's pointless, isn't it? Pointless. <laughs> Not a TV program. It's living without a purpose. That's what it means not to be a Christian. It's living without a purpose. You've got no purpose, just, you're just living. Living to be a celebrity. Well, is, there, is there a purpose in being celebrity? Well, no, there's a new celebrity next week. There's a new singer, there's a new football player. It's amazing how quickly football players come through and go, isn't it? The, the, the star, one minute, and the next, they've forgotten. They've moved on. There's a purpose in Christianity that isn't there when we're not Christians. We're, we're, the, the futile life is fruitless. There's no fruit in it. There's nothing, it doesn't bear anything of good, of lasting. It's the futility of your mind, how you think. And the mind is very important, and we'll come back to that later. But if you're not a Christian, your, your understanding is dark. It's, it's darkened by the world. It's darkened by the enemy. It seek to alienate you from God. It seek to alienate you from other Christians. It seek to alienate you from family. It seek to put you on your own in any circumstance. It just wants to remove it's good from your life. It seems it's good, the things he's offering. But it's an alienation. 
I'm skipping through this quite quickly because I want to get to the meat. This is like, yeah, yeah, starter. But this is what Jesus said about the people that he met. As he walked around Jerusalem. In Matthew 13, he says, For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears they can barely hear. If you're a Christian, your heart is no longer dull. It's not dull. Sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm still dull. I feel dull. I feel dull to God. I can't hear him. My ears, they're just, it's just it's difficult. I don't, just don't feel like I love people. I need to try harder. <coughs> it's not about trying harder. If you continue on the line of of rejecting God and being hard and dull towards what God has to say to you, he says you become callous. <laughs> you give yourself to sensuality, to greed, to impurity. That's this passage takes you through. It takes you through. It's like a. It's almost like a process that the un, unregenerate person goes through. It starts with suppressing the truth and saying, "Well, I don't want to go that way. I don't want to believe that." You become obstinate. Saying, I don't want to hear what God has to say to me. I don't want to hear it. I'm blocking it out. My mind's become dark. And God judges. And God says, well, you go your own way. We don't want to be in that place. It's God speaking to you. Don't, 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 allow, don't allow God to say, no, you go your own way. You've heard, you've heard the gospel. You've heard the good news. You're not saying, well, go, go your own way. And the life becomes reckless. But his encouragement is oh, still, his truth still remains. But it's not the old life that we're living. If you're a Christian, you're living the new life. Yeah. And these things are past. This is who you were, this is not who you are now. You're new, you're different. Yeah. And there's two, two tests that Paul puts in this. That he, says, uh, he says, who have you heard... And what have you learned? There are two tests in this. Who have you heard and what have you learned? The ESV says, have you heard about him? The NASB, as another version of the Bible, says, um, have you heard him? Not heard about him, heard him. I think the distinction is, is important. I think we need to hear him, not just about him. We need to hear God's voice. We need to respond to God's voice in our life. In, in John 10, verse 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will, per they, they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So if, if you're, you're in doubt about whether you're a Christian, do you hear God's voice? This is a test. Do you hear God's voice? Are you hearing God speaking to you? This is what Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Are you hearing his voice? Are you hearing him speaking to you? Not just, the, not just me, are you hearing God speak to you? I had a lady come to me and, and uh, I preached a few years back now and said, what you said on Sunday was so helpful. It so encouraged me. I was like, oh, great. Thank you. Not quite fine. This is sin. But I'm really encouraged by that. And then, and then she texted me a bit later in the week, and she said, 
I listened to your preach again. And actually, you didn't say what I heard. You never said those words. So then you're, you're faced as a, as, a, as a preacher and a leader thinking, well, is that encouraging? Is that encouraging or not? And you think, well, I had to conclude, because I want to be a positive person, that it's encouraging that actually God is speaking to her and encouraging while I'm speaking. So I can say anything, and actually hopefully God is speaking to you. <laughs> See, like there was a load of nonsense. Hopefully God's put things in your heart. But actually, we need to hear him. We need to hear what he's got to say. We need to hear his voice. And then he says, what have you learned? What have you learned? <laughs> what have we learned to behave in a certain way? Have we learned to do certain things? Have we learned to sit quietly and listen to someone on a Sunday morning? Have we learned to sing in a group? Have we learned to keep quiet? There's people bad mouth. What have we learned? So as Christians, sometimes we learn all the wrong things. We learn how to behave rather than who we are. Because what Paul wants to say is, well, have you learned who you are? Have you learned who you are? Our thinking and purpose is to, to produce fruit. Not just to let life pass by. As a Christian, we, our minds have been enlightened. We've been reconciled to God. We've been taught, we've been educated. Educated about who we are, who he is. That we have hearts of flesh. That's what it says. In the old life, we had hard hearts. In the new life, he says, we'll have hearts of flesh. Ezekiel 36, verse 26, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put a spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. If you're a Christian, God's given you a heart of flesh. Now, that isn't always reflected positively in the Bible, is it? The heart of flesh in the New Testament, well, flesh in the New Testament isn't always seen positively. Sometimes it's seen as, it's translated as a sinful nature. In John 6, he says, the spirit gives life, the flesh is no help at all. So, if the flesh is no help at all, why have you given us a heart of flesh, God? Why have you given us this heart of flesh? Well, it's understanding what that heart of flesh is in the mind of God, isn't it? Spurgeon, the Prince of Peaches, tells us in his famous preach what is meant by half flesh is up. Try not to get into his accent. But these are his words. He says, A half flesh, I means a heart that can feel on account of sin. A heart that can bleed when the arrows of God stick fast in it. It means a heart that can yield when the gospel makes its attacks. A heart that can be impressed when the seal of God's word comes upon it. It means a heart that is warm, for life is warm. A heart that can think. A heart that can aspire. A heart that can love. Put it all in one, a heart of flesh means a new heart and right spirit which God giveth to the regenerate. But wherein does this heart of flesh consist? Where does its tenderness consist? There's so many things about this heart. It's simple words, a heart of one, a heart of flesh. What does that mean? It means these things. 
What's the heart of flesh? Let's just summarize. What's the heart of flesh tender to? What is the test for whether you're a Christian, whether you're living in the right way? Well, it, the first one is about sin. You conscience. You conscience about your sin. Are you fearful of sinning? Do you feel bad when you have sinned? Because all I'm not saying is that, that John uh, tells us that, one John tells us that no one is perfect, only one. So God is holy, but actually he's making us holy. Or he's made us holy. But actually we should be fearful of sin. We should be fearful of sinning. And we should feel convicted after we sin. We should feel bad about sinning. If you don't feel bad about sinning, that's a question whether you, you've got faith. It's not about whether you sin or not, it's about how you feel about that thing. Yeah? Makes sense. There's a conviction that comes when you've got a heart of flesh. The heart of stone's not worried. It's, it's not worried about... It's, it's, it's hard to guard, and that's the next thing. That the, the tender heart, the heart of flesh... Is tender towards God. Tender to love God. Tender to worship. The hard heart can't love God. <coughs> to be conscious about your sin, you'll be tender towards God. And the first thing is, it's tender towards God's will. How's God to talk and move? It's like it was described to me. It's like, it's, it's like the heart's like soft wax. Ready for the king's seal to come and be impressed upon it. That's the shape of God. You have a heart like that? Tender for God. As we move through this passage, uh, verse 20 gives us a good picture of, of the change that's happened. So I just want to uh, just show you that. This is my new shirt. Second outing. So this is my old shirt. It still feels nice. It's nice to be in the old shirt. This is my old preaching shirt. It's uh, got this uh, my wife bought quite a few years ago now. For Christmas. We're on Christmas Day, just preaching this at special occasions. <laughs> this is my old shirt, it's good. It's nice, feels nice. In fact, someone I was wearing it just for Christmas, and that's a nice shirt. I said, well, it's quite old, actually. And it feels comfortable. It still fits, look. I haven't put that much weight on in the last 10 years. It's a good shirt. And we can feel about our old life sometimes like I do about this old shirt. You feel like, see, it still feels comfy. It still feels nice. It still fits me. I can, I can walk in that way again. I can, I can go back to the old life because actually that's, what, that's who I am. This is my old shirt. Because a new shirt, sometimes I think, well, it's not, it's not quite me yet. It's still a bit, a bit stiff. In fact, I only just cut the label out. And friends, I got one. I got married to um, my best man. I, we want, I wanted to be in the same suits. We bought suits from Marks and Spencers in, uh, I think it was in Birkenhead actually. 
Um, it's the other side of the water, though, you don't feel customizing. Um, and we bought new suits, and he, 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 he didn't really like I've still got my wedding suit, actually. He just kept the labels in his, and then his mum took it back um, a week after the wedding. Which is shocking, isn't it? It's shocking. That's scousers for you. <laughs> but actually, you can feel nice in the old, the old suit. You can feel nice in the old clothes, can't you? You can feel nice in the old life. What's your old life? Well, it was nice, it was comfortable. But actually, this is what Paul says. He says, um, put it off. Verse 22, put off the old stuff. Put it off. Put it off. Don't, don't keep it on. Put it off. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. It's done. Done with the old shirt. I've got a new shirt. What do I need an old shirt for anymore? I've got a brand new one. I've just got it from Next. In the sale. It's still expensive, though. But I didn't part with cash. It was a voucher. But it's a new. It's a new shirt. It's a new shirt. It's a nice shirt. But it still feels a little bit... It's a little bit, you know, it's a bit stiff. A bit different fit. Getting, tits and getting used to. That's what Paul says. Says, put on, put on the new life, put on the new shirt. Now, if someone buys you something new, so that, you know, so that maybe maybe the shirt was looking a bit raggedy, you know, and and, uh, and I, so I bought this myself. I was quite proud. My wife didn't like it. Normally, I'm not allowed to buy my own clothes. <laughs> My wife has to choose. She's looking, she's glaring at me. <laughs> but if, if I continue to wear the old shirt and not put the new one on that perhaps Nikki had bought me for Christmas, well, how do you think she would feel? Would she feel like I was valuing her and honouring her by wearing the old shirt that's worn out rather than the new shirt that she's given me? What do you think? She wouldn't feel valued or honoured, would she? And I think that's how God feels when we walk in the old way. And he thinks not valuing what he's done for you in your life by going back to the old things. But you don't need to go back to the old things because he's made you new. You're not in that anymore. You've cast that away. We've got rid of the old shirt. Here's the old shirt. We're getting rid of the old shirt. We're getting rid of it, all right? It's gone. The old shirt's done with. Though it's still over there. It's not far away. It's still going to go a bit further now. But there's a new shirt. You've got a new set of clothes. You've got a new life that God has won for you. Yeah. Now, if you try to be, I think, you know, wear the old shirt and think, well, I'll try and be, make it look a bit newer by ironing it sometimes. Or hanging on, not throwing it on the floor. Because you can't copy it. You can try and make it smart. The old look smarter by, by ironing outside. As Jesus says, I've given you a, a new set. I've given you a new life to live. You don't need to live in that life anymore. You don't need to live in that shirt anymore. It's gone. It's finished. Yeah. You've left it behind. Because the old shirt was pointless. Well, it wasn't pointless. The old life is pointless. It's fruitless. There's a new. There's new fruit to be had. Renewal comes 
And it says in this passage, verse 22, renewal comes not with what you're wearing or how you behave, but how your mind thinks. The renewal we need is in our minds and what we think about the new self. It's not about the behaviours, it's about how you think about yourself. Let's read it again. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and its cropped through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So the new self is not try harder to be godly. God has made you right by his grace. He said, yes, you're you, in before me, you're now seen as righteous. Now we can talk about that a lot. I mean, I, I accept that. You know, it's, that's, that was a, it was a big deal, isn't it? Actually, by grace we're saved. But whether we sin or not, actually, we're seen as righteous before Christ because we're seen through Christ as our, he's like the, the, um, the, the, uh, the mirror that we look through, almost, isn't it? So that lens that we look through, Christ, we see Christ. God looks at, at Christ, and see, he looks at us and sees Christ. He's a perfect one. And actually, we can say, too, he's made us right with God. But actually, also, you think, well, we can be right with God in that, but actually, we've got to work really hard at being holy. So we're made right by Christ dying on a cross for us, but we've got to work at being holy so we can be like him. It doesn't seem to make sense, does it? It doesn't seem to make sense if, if God's doing everything for us to see us as holy, why would he then leave us to try and be holy like him? Why would he make that work? It says in the Bible, it says here, this is here. To put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. God hasn't made you to be unholy. He's made you holy. He's created you in his righteousness. As a new self, you're created to be righteous and holy. He's not left it up to you to try and work harder in your Christian life. You're already holy, because he's made you holy. Created after the likeness of God. So you're creating a new self like God. So you're not only seen as holy, you are holy. That's who you are. That's your identity. If you're a Christian, you're a holy one. Because we can come think, well, I'm not really, you know, we're, we're not worthy. <laughs> he's the only one that's worthy, but he's made us holy. That's why he's worthy. So we don't need to beat ourselves up about failing. We just need to keep walking in his way. Now, Paul gives us some examples, so we're going we're gonna to finish with that. I'm not sure about the time. Not, I can't see a clock, so you're going to have to just keep going. Sorry. Romans 12, 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. A testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's about transforming your mind. It's about what you think. About a holy one. I don't need to go. I don't need to go back to the old shirt. I don't need to go back and think, well, I just grabbed the old shirt out. It's only just over here. Just go back over here. I should do like a bit of sin. You know, and God's forgiven me. It's all right. I'm going to repent tomorrow. 
it's not that bad. You're, you're, you make meal. You doesn't want you to go that way. You don't need to go that way because you're made whole. So what are the implications of that? And it goes through at the end of this chapter, and we'll, we'll go through this quickly. There's some key things. From verse 25 on, onwards. It's a big therefore. Paul, Paul's favourite two words, and if you've noticed, if you go through his, his writings, his two favourite words are but and therefore. So we've had the but already. Because you're not in your old life, but you're in, the, you're in the new life. And now he's going, therefore, so, you know, there's, there's something we wear, callous, dark, rejected by God, and now the but, the new, is now we're accepted and we're made holy, and then he says, therefore, this is what you need to do. Now, Paul's interesting, because um, he, he was a bad man, wasn't he? But he was a good man. But he was a bad man. Because he was a holy one. That's confusing, isn't it? It's not really confusing because he was zealous and religious. And he learned everything. He was educated. <coughs> but he persecuted the church. He was a bad man. And he called himself in, a, in, a, in 1 Corinthians 15. And I was looking at this last week and it really, well, a few weeks ago, it really helped me. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. If you're ever looking for a passage that gives you a um, good uh, um, summary of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15 is where you should start. Really helpful from Paul, those first uh, 10 verses. But in verse, verse 9 it says, For I am the least of the apostles, and worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So Paul said, well, you know, I'm not worthy. I'm really worthy. We can be. And we can stop at that point. So well, I'm not really worthy to live this new life. I, you know, I'm personally, I was bad, and I've sinned, I've done this, I've done that. And he says then, his, 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 his favorite, one of his first favorite words comes up, but, he says, but the grace of God, by the grace of God I am what I am. By the grace of God I am what I am. Did that, is he saying, by the grace of God I am, well I'm, I'm just not really worthy. I've done so many bad things, but it, it continues. He says, and the grace towards me was not in vain. The grace towards me was not in vain. Now that doesn't sound like someone who's saying, well, I'm just no good, is it? He's very humble about his position, but he's not saying, well, I'm, I'm just not any good. Still bad. Because the grace for him was not in vain. And God's grace for you is not in vain. This is it? something you can repeat to yourself. God's grace towards me is not in vain. Why is that? Because he's made me holy. Because he's made me good. And this is what it says. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So he's saying, I worked harder than any of them. So I he was working hard at his holiness, he's working hard at his apostleship, sounds, doesn't it? So I work really hard, I work to be really godly now, I've got this truth in me. No, he says it's the grace within him that's working. Don't try and be more holy, just allow grace to work in your life. Allow it to work. Allow him to work through you. We sing that great song, 
um, uh, the Matt Redmond, I'm breathing in your grace. I'm breathing. We need to breathe in God's grace to us. Breathe it in. And then we breathe out his praise. We're breathing in God's grace. We've got something to give out. And it's good. It's good stuff. We're breathing in God's grace. We're able to breathe out his praise. We're able to breathe out what he's putting in us. So Paul's saying, you know, it's not that I'm... I, it wasn't in vain. I'm good. I'm good not because I'm working harder than all the apostles. I'm good because his grace has made me good. It's the same for all of us. He was the worst. You know, he said, I'm the worst. That's what he said in the song. But he said, that it's not in vain because God has made me maybe, maybe the, the greatest apostle after Jesus. Wrote most of the New Testament. It's one of the most helpful teachers that we've got, isn't it? But it's not him working harder. It's grace working through him. It's the same for us. That grace is working through us. So there's a few examples. Let's just do these quickly and then we'll close. There's a couple of things. There's three, actually, there's three main things. It says, be angry and don't sin. Let the thief no longer steal. And about how we talk. You're a new creation. Speak the truth. You've, re- you've put away, it says the Bible, you've put away falsehood. We put away falsehood. The old shirt represents falsehood. We put that away. We put on a new shirt which is called speaking the truth. That's who you are. You're a truth speaker now. Put it on. And the motivation for that is not that you will, it's not a commandment, you shall not bear false witness. I think that's, is that the commandment number nine? You shall not bear false witness. Well, no, that isn't the motivation for speaking the truth. The motivation is because we're members of one another. We've been put together. So the motivation is not, oh, well, I mustn't do that because it's against the commandment. The motivation is, no, no, we're, we're together. God is put us together, so let's speak right. He says, be angry and don't sin. Guard your hearts against anger. Although it seems to suggest we should be angry. Actually, the closer we are to God, we get angry about the things that God is angry about. About sin, about injustice. Perhaps he says, don't dwell on it. It carries on, doesn't it? It tells us, you know, don't let don't don't let the sun go down on your on your anger. That's not a, it's not like a deadline for married couples. I often use it is in, in, in the seminars of marriage, you know. Also make sure your arguments are all dealt with before you go to bed. So we leave them all day. <laughs> I don't think that's what it's saying. I don't think it's a deadline. I think it's a warning. This is something to stay away from. This is something to you actually don't dwell in this area, don't dwell on anger, because it'll lead you into sin. And once he says it leads us, it gives a foothold for the enemy. Don't let your anger, don't let your frustration with other people, don't let your what's happening around you that you're frustrated, don't let the enemy get a foothold. Be with him. The right heart. It's not about commandments, it's about having a good heart. Being in tune with the Holy Spirit. It says, let the thief no longer steal. Command number eight, isn't it? 
commandment in 8, do not steal. But he says, don't. He says, let, let the thief contribute. Look after his own family. But then actually share with others who've got in need. As you think there's a principle for all of us. We're all takers before we were in the kingdom. We're all takers. Taking stuff. God wants us to be contributors. He wants us to be giving things in. All the time it's great to see the baby basics. Giving stuff in. Actually it's a contributor. A contributor to someone. Not necessarily. We don't have to. And I'm sure that, you know, the Christian Torah said, well, you don't have to give. But actually, there's something in us that wants to, isn't it? There? There's something in us that says, well, I want to give. That's someone, it's not going to, someone I can contribute. Or something, maybe, well, I never got it. Because we can be like that. We say, well, I never got it. Why should I give it to them? Why should I help them out with meals? I never got meals when I was pregnant. No one came to visit me in hospital. Because that's what, takers, that's taking. Actually, God wants to be a contributor. Let's say, hey, we may have taken in the past. Maybe we didn't receive anything. But actually, God wants you to be givers. Givers and contributors into his kingdom. And then finally, about how we talk. We need to give grace to those who hear us. We need to be encouragers. Strengthening people. This is, don't talk to build up. If, you, you know, if you're not sure what I'm saying in English, this guy, this, it's all here in this passage. All right, I've just got referring back to it. It's all here. It says, speak to build up. Encourage. Put, put strength in people. That's what encouragement means to put courage in. We need to be encouragers. Because too much we can be moaners. We can moan about what the leaders are not doing in our church. We can moan about the government. We can moan about the neighbours and how they park. Yeah. Oh, so I've got one there. Raw one there. <laughs> I live in one of those streets. Why they park their car there? It's so inconsiderate. Hi. God bless you. <laughs> Don't try it. Don't be like that. Okay, let's, let's conclude. The main reason we don't want to live in that because it grieves God. So that final verse that says, um, grieves the Holy Spirit. When we go back to the old shirt, it grieves God when you live that way. And if you've got a tender heart, if you've got a renewed heart, this is you need to go. You grieve God. You bless God. So don't put on, don't put off the, don't put on the old self. Put it off. Don't walk in those ways. Walk in the new life. Just discard them. Put them out. Keep putting on the new ways. Put on kindness. Put on love. Put on contribution. Put on giving. Put on how you speak. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Through grace. Breathe it in. <coughs> breathe in that grace. And you can breathe out his grace. Amen. Bless you.